0: Hey, hey y'all, this is Nicolette and David and you are listening to Definitely Not For Everyone. So I don't know if you've heard, but there are groups of amazing and courageous students from several private schools who have come out with handles such as Black at Brerley or Black at LaGuardia that are speaking out about their own experiences of racism at these schools. As you know, my daughter goes to one of these private institutions, and I'm hoping to get some insights into my own child's experience through what some of these amazing young people have gone through and to perhaps get some advice as parents as to how to handle the emotional and mental stuff that happens with our kids. We are blessed to have three CGPS alum who are also the co-creators of True Colors of Columbia. And I also have a friend and fellow parent, Ebony, with us via Zoom today. My hope is to talk about how they came to the decision and motivate themselves into doing something as courageous as these posts on Instagram for the world to see, and also what they hope to achieve. I'm here with Ebony, Imani, Lauren, and Wamia. Please say hello to the listeners, y'all. Hello. hello. Hi. Hi. Um, okay, so I usually like to begin my episodes by introducing ourselves to the listeners. So two or three things that define who you are, and if you're not comfortable with that, then maybe just how you are feeling today. Um, I'll start it off just so you guys have like an idea. Um, Usually I'm a little bit more ratchet than I'm gonna be today, just because of this important conversation we're having. Um, So I'll keep it real PG and say that I am a mother, I'm a wife, Um, sometimes I don't want to be a wife, sometimes I don't want to be a mother, Um, but I love my family, Um, my friends are my family. Um, What else about me, David?
1: You're a host of this podcast.
0: I am a host of the podcast. (laughs) Yes, I am, aren't I? You are the co-host. Did you know that? He just became the co-host and then he trying to like, you know, take over and whatnot, but whatever. (laughs) Um, Okay. Who would like to go next?
2: I'll go next. All right. Go ahead. Um, I'm Imani Kamara. I'm 17. I'm an avid New Yorker. I'm also super Senegalese, so that means like very African, whether it's cooking, dancing, music. Um, I'm also a huge mover, so I love anything with dance, whether it's modern dance, ballet. I've tried so many different things, but I feel like it all just ends up into one weird mix when I'm creating. Um, and I'm also, a, I like baking. I've gotten into that a lot more recently, definitely inspired by Lauren, and it's just like another outlet for my creativity, I think.
0: That's awesome. Beautiful.
3: <laughs> Thank you for that, Imani. Who's next? Thank you. Um, I'll go. Okay, I'm Lauren Gloucester. I'm a daughter, um, a baker. Hi, Amani. And I'm also a loud Cuban, uh, which my family reminds me of every single day. And I never know how to speak at a normal volume. It's a <laughs> big flaw of this mine from my Cuban side.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I can totally rate relate the guy side is super loud believe me ah, well <laughs> as, as you can tell yes.
4: um <laughs> who'd like to go next um i can go next um i'm mumia hawk i'm 18 um some things that define me are that i'm getting in touch with my south asian heritage and culture um i'm a huge writer love to write and i'm starting to get really into public policy and international affairs um and that's what i hope to study in college so yeah
0: beautiful beautiful miss ebony i think you should <clears throat> now hi i'm ebony tyler i'm a mom um a
5: daughter um spending time in georgia with my dad he's been here um almost three weeks so i'm back to um being told what to do um <laughs> and he does room checks, so it's pretty interesting
0: i'm having a good time i'm feeling good <laughs> okay <laughs> David, you're up, man.
1: I'm David, uh husband to this this lady right next to me, Nicolette. Um my father my husband I'm really into I've been reading a lot about gamification and behavioral design lately. Really interested in that type of stuff, trying to figure out how to uh help my kids and myself uh gain some new habits, better habits. I'm gaining a little weight with this covid here, you know, so uh <laughs> trying to figure something out, but that's it.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Thank you all for that. Um, so I think we're going to head into our questions. As I told you all earlier, I'm hoping that this will be more conversational than just a question and answer session. Um, but I do have a lot of questions as a parent um, and as a parent of someone or a child who goes to a private institution, as you all had. Um, but my first question that I wanted to ask was, um, I wanted to start off with maybe some of your own personal experiences um, in the realm of um, private education and race. And
1: what, I can begin. This is what, can you tell us of a time of you experiencing something in, in school and what, what was it? What happened? How did they deal with it? How did you feel about it? How did
3: they not deal with it? Oh, well, we'll get into that.
1: Awesome.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's a problem Um, anyway sorry go ahead
2: yeah um I I can start since I came to Columbia in ninth grade I think my first incident really just set the tone for how my experience would be over the next four years I was like in the lounge in our general like school lobby area walking to a class and then all of a sudden like this random white student who I didn't even know didn't recognize wasn't familiar with but I knew he was older just like yelled the n-word at me like Hard R and everything, just like in the middle of a really crowded walkway. And I think that was really striking to me because not only was it just so over and out in the open, but no one said anything. People definitely looked confused and weirded out, but like that thing was said. And at that time, I didn't feel comfortable enough going to anyone about it. I didn't think, because you know, if the people around me weren't reacting, then why would like teachers care? Why would the administration care? But that was really the first incident and not the last incident, unfortunately, where I was like. Oh, so I don't, I'm not seen as equal here. I don't belong in this space as I thought I did. And that just set up a, a lot of um, really terrible incidents and really just hurtful things to come, whether it was acts like that or bigger, or smaller, or, you know, whatever magnitude it was, it still was very hurtful and impactful.
0: Yeah. Oh my
2: gosh, babe. <laughs> so it's yeah. the- like a little initiation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just walked by and said the N word and kept walking
2: kept walking to his class like no big deal and for me I was like is this like our orientation like what's going on here but it was definitely very isolating and it felt <laughs> very lonely in that moment It also just kind of like humorous just like why would you do that what is the point but me as a freshman I didn't want to say anything or cause any trouble so I just kept walking to my class.
0: Wow
3: what about you? Times. <laughs> um, well I've been at Columbia or I was at Columbia for 13 years Um, So, you know, I grew up there. I had a sibling who also went from pre-K to fifth grade and didn't um, continue on to sixth for um, also, you know, a lot of race-related issues. But, um, you know, it was really difficult growing up in that environment. And even though I'm really grateful for the academic opportunities and a lot of, you know, the teachers of color who have supported me throughout my time there, there are very few teachers of color, so there's not many that um, I can say were truly there for me. And nothing surprises me. So hearing Amani's story um, was not surprising. Wamiya's story is not gonna be surprising for me either. Um, but for me, you know, one of my big things was that, <clears throat> you know, I had heard uh, one day when I was, you know, going about my day that there was somebody with a group of friends, this white kid going around putting a $20 bill under black girls' chairs and saying, oh my god, you dropped this. And when they were like, oh, no, that's not mine, he'd be like, yeah, I know, because you're poor and black. And everyone's like, huh? <gasps> um, so again, really stupid, nothing original, nothing creative, um, which is kind of annoying. Like, if you're going to be racist, be creative and funny. <laughs> um, but whatever, and no seasoning. And so, you know, I was going about my day during a free period and in the cafeteria with, you know, a couple friends, the same, you know, guy and his friends come around, they drop the $20 bill. They're like, oh, you dropped this. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. I think it fell out of my pocket and I picked it up. And didn't these kids try to, you know, or didn't try to, they did corner me in the cafeteria and try to like physically put their hands on me. Not one person in that cafeteria said a word, not a faculty member, not a person in the in the you know cleaning crew, none of the students they just sat there and they watched these kids try to physically assault me and um, cornering me and it wasn't until one of the security guards came up who has known me for years and my family for years, and you know he tried bring it to the administration, the administration you know our dean at the time was busy. Uh, I put quotes around that for people who can't see me. And um, instead we were brought to the guidance counselor to talk about that. And um, who, you know, she made the kid apologize and said it'd be brought up to the administration, but I didn't hear anything about it. Um, and of course, you know, me being of color and on scholarship, my parents were worried. And, um, you know, it's it's a really challenging thing, you know, um, and I don't want to speak for you guys because y'all are parents, but, you know, from hearing my parents talk, it's difficult, you know, teaching your kids to stand up for themselves and be advocates, but at the same time, protecting themselves and their careers and their futures as as young, you know, students of color.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. it is very difficult.
3: That was so, that was so long. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> it was no, perfect. It was yeah. perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Wamia?
4: Um, yeah, so I think. The experience that kind of always stays with me, um, even though I kind of, I guess, distanced myself from it um, for a very long time, is that um, I wear a headscarf, and I think right now I'm having a lot of struggle kind of connecting to that part of my identity because it was something at, I was the first girl to wear a headscarf at the school, like in the entire history, Mm -hmm. and um, for a very long time, I think until last year, I was like the only one to wear a headscarf. Um, so it was just a very isolating kind of experience where um, I'm sure white kids didn't mean a lot of disrespect or I don't know, some of them always mean a disrespect, but <clears throat> um, I think that some of it also came from ignorance where they would, there would be constant like questioning of like, oh, why are you a Muslim? Um, which is like not the kind of thing that you would like be ready to answer at like the age of 14. Um, or 12, which, which was the age I was when I started at the school. But um, uh, one day I was in a history class and Lauren actually was in that history class with me. She sat um, right next to me. And so I was wearing my headscarf and um, for like a couple of days, I saw that it kept falling down after that class. Um, and then one day Lauren pulled me aside and she said, "Bumia, um, I need to tell you that the boy who sits behind you in history class is poking a pencil into the back of your headscarf until your headscarf like falls apart and comes down um so i was i was 14 i was shocked i didn't really think that anyone would have the like the audacity to put their hands on me or my body um so i confronted the boy i asked him why he thought that was like a correct thing to do or why he thought it was acceptable in any way um and he like fully adamantly denied it he said i have no idea what you're talking about and Lauren and I kind of met eyes in that moment. Like, what am I supposed like, how, how, do, how does a 14-year-old kind of continue in this kind of scenario? Um, so all I said was, if you do it again, like, I'm not, I'm not stopping here. Like, I'm going to someone, I'm telling, I'm telling someone what you did, uh, and I'm not letting it go. Um, so he just, like, kind of nodded, which kind of, like, confirms that it was him who was doing it. Um, and it just never happened again. But um, I think it really did disrupt the connection that I had with my scare, Um, because it's something that I kind of struggle with now, I think.
0: I'm so sorry you ladies have to go through that. That is not something that you should go through at all, including my own child and I'm sure Ebony's children too. Like, and then that no one was there to help protect you and guide you through that process. That's even the worst part about it. Like You should not have been you know, expected to handle your business, you know? Yeah, sorry i'm going <laughs> way off <laughs> um
5: when when my son started at um the school cgps i had a at one point i had two sons there one started in kindergarten and then the other one came in pre-k and the one who was there in kindergarten he's no longer there he left um after eighth grade and went to public school um but the one that is pre-k he's still there going into eighth. um and you know going in that space and trying to find community and trying to find other parents to connect with about the different things that are happening was very difficult in the beginning. Um, and then I went to like some type of event and it was like another independent school event. And the person there said, you have to be visible um, as a parent in that space because you're sending your child into this foreign place, um, and the people you know they don't they're not from the same community as you so you have to be um very vigilant and 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 be present um and i realized that when i um became the chair of mosaic they handled they started handling me a little differently when stuff would go down you know cuz i got stories for days like there have been racial incidents every year um, that my kids were there. Um, but I realized that when I started chairing Mosaic, things were a little different. And I felt that the parents needed to understand that we, ha- we are stronger if we work together. We're stronger if we, you know, if something happens, don't keep it in isolation You have to tell other parents so that they'll know. And I think that the kids need to know as well, you know. Um, And I'm so sorry that you all went through this because these are your formative years. You shouldn't have to be dealing with these things in your formative years, you know, when you're shaping who you are as a person to have to go through, you know, the, the, these, 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 I mean, just reading True colors. Yes. It, it um it, it it hurts. It hurts. It really. And does. people say like, oh, have you re- have you read Black at Spence? So I said, I'm just traumatized by the institution that um I'm I'm with. I'm traumatized by that. So I c- I can't hold space for the other schools right now because this is still very raw. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm going off.
0: No, no. Was it? Lauren, was it consistent across all the divisions or was it more so in the prep school?
3: I mean, the thing about, you know, the grammar in the middle school is that you're so young and it's, it becomes so normalized that you don't even know that it's happening to you until you get older and you start thinking back on things. You're like, oh my God, that was disgusting. Um, and that happened to me a lot, especially when creating this account. Um, you know, with uh, the rest of my girls here, um, I really started reflecting on a lot of the things that were happening, especially since a lot of, you know, interviewers were asking me, you know, what was your experience? I'm like, what was my experience? And I think back to my, my grammar school days, my middle school days, I'm like, oh my God, these kids were so cruel. And, you know, my teachers were so cruel. And this, it wasn't that this teacher didn't like me because they didn't like me. This teacher didn't like me because I was black or because my dad was black. And, um, you know, it, this, this creating this account was a very unifying experience. And, you know, I felt, I didn't feel as alone as I have for the past 13 years. Um, But it was also really traumatic to make. And it's like, oh my God, you know, this is stuff that I didn't have to go through. My brother didn't have to go through. It was all of us. And um, it's just so, disheartening and like I know all of your kids either from Extended Day or from you know whatever programs and to know that all of these little you know girls and boys have to go through this and you know handle their business like you said um and mature at such a young age is so disgusting. It's just gross. The whole situation is just gross. That was gonna be
0: my next I think we yeah go ahead Imani
2: no, so I think we often like talk about with, within each other, the whole idea of like we were students, but oftentimes we were also teachers at the same time. Um, and that's, you have to grow up fast. Like you're put in scenarios where you had to either explain your experience or explain why something is wrong or racist or um, just n- offensive and not okay. And so uh, having to assume that role, like it's not just as a high schooler, like I, you know, I was in a lot of positions where I was mentoring kids of color who were younger, who were in third grade, second grade, first grade who were having the same experiences and conversations as I was. And just to see their maturity was both like, wow, like you're so, so mature for your age. But also it was kind of sad and disheartening because they had to grow up so fast and they were already faced with the rea- reality that I was faced with. And so I think, again, like we had to be students and on top of our work, on top of the stressing for college, on top of like, you know, your typical responsibilities as a student, you have to deal with your peers and your administration and deal with like daily microaggressions or macroaggressions. And it just, it, it creates an environment where, where do you have time to just be yourself, be a kid and grow up and learn and make mistakes? You have to be on top of it 24 seven, while also being made fun of trying to make progress and trying to, you know, make genuine inc- inclusivity in your spaces. Because like the diversity club that we were a heads of was constantly ridiculed, constantly made fun of, and kids showed no interest in trying to learn about us or who we are or like what we, what our mission was. Is often called like the Black People Club, even though it's a multiracial, multi ethnic club. So it just was, it's a lot of backlash from like your peers and your institution while also trying to just like establish yourself as a student and as an equal um, amongst your peers. So, yeah.
0: Um, gosh, I mean, that, that, did you, I guess my question was more about the feeling of aloneness that you felt during that time. Um, and I know there weren't a lot of teachers for you to go to and a lot of friends that you had that you could go to, but did you, as time went on, make the community so that you didn't feel that alone? Or did that not even really take place until after you guys graduated?
2: I think do we're gonna go first, Sorry. <laughs> it's a I'm kind of
4: thinking, I'm kind of thinking about that because honestly, like being home right now, spending all this time reflecting on our experiences, I do think back and try to remember if there were moments where I felt like I, were, I felt connected to, to someone or I felt protected by any administration or teachers there. And, and I'm sure there were, I'm sure it wasn't all so terrible. Um, but, you know, I think that the overwhelming sense is that I was very lonely. And that I didn't have a lot of people like me to, to relate to or to talk to about those things. Um, and then when you did kind of talk about those things, it would make other kids around you super uncomfortable yeah. because they've never had to, they've never had the, the privilege that they have um, to, for their parents to be able to send them to those kind of schools and you know, go to swimming clubs or have soccer clubs that they go to outside of school um, and have all these super cool extracurricular activities that I as um, I don't know, at the time I was like a lower income kid um, who had no extracurriculars, um, who just somehow by chance got that scholarship to go to that school. Um, It was very isolating, both from a racial and I think from a financial standpoint, um, where you felt for a very long time, like something was messed up and that you didn't belong there and you just kind of ended up there somehow by chance. Um, But I do think that I'm also a prep kid. If you guys know the program, Prep for Prep, helps a lot of younger, um, sorry, low income and POC kids get into private institutions to make sure that, you know, they can also get into greater colleges and um, kind of make a name for themselves in that way. Um, so I, I kind of had that community um, of other kids who got sent to other private schools, mm-hmm. who faced the same experiences, who were lonely in their schools. And so like the moments where we would come together it was sort of like a temporary solace or haven. Um, and I really, really do appreciate each and every one of those kids so much and being in their presence um, and being comforted by the fact that like we were all alone but we were kind of alone together at those times. Um, so there was some light in the darkness
0: yeah. for me. Wow. Well, to
2: add on to Amiya, I think, I definitely agree. I think a lot of my experience felt it was very isolating because it was made that way, honestly, by the community. Um, and I think naturally you become closer with like the kids of color at the school or especially like Mecca leaders um, you know leading the diversity club as seniors like I think we constantly were facetiming like you know we became friends yeah we got very close very quickly got very close Um, (laughs) very fast and I think you know you naturally gravitate towards kids that look like you or you know might have the same experiences whether it's from a racial ethnic cultural or the economic standpoint, because that's, you know, another huge divide within our school community. Um, and I think even in that, like, overall, it can feel very isolating and almost like you're preaching to the choir, because, like, you know, obviously, like, your friends are going to, of-, of color are going to get it, because they've been through the same things, but I think it's um, an overwhelming feeling of, like, people don't care outside of your community, um, what, because, you know, they either, like, voice that directly to you, like, we don't really care, this isn't our problem, this isn't our business, or invalidating your experiences. So I think there's just like, yeah, definitely an overwhelming like backdrop of like, I'm alone in this and who do I, you know, who do I talk to that, you know, that can actually implement change rather than, you know, having to rehash the same trauma again and again.
3: Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was, it was really difficult because, um, you know, I didn't feel as though I made a true friend at Columbia until ninth grade. And again, I've been there since kindergarten. And so, you know. It was the whole experience was really traumatic because I thought I had some sort of issue with making friends and that there was something so incredibly wrong with me that I could not maintain a friendship or, you know, get someone to, you know, one of my white friends to respect me in the same way or treat me in the same way that they treated their white friends. And it wasn't until I saw my brother go through, you know, this school system and him go through the exact same thing that I was like, okay, he's a solid kid. What's going on? And, um, You know, I and even that one white friend that I made that I was like, oh, my God, this is my friend. I finally did it. Let's wrap it up. It's good. No, because Black Lives Matter, you know, George Floyd died or was murdered. And all of a sudden she wants to have a conversation with me about, you know, white privilege and how she's taking a hiatus from social justice. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to even get into that. But (laughs) um, basically, It's really, really difficult um, or was really, really difficult um, thinking you've made a friend and then losing a friend because they can't accept your blackness or your mixedness or your poorness, you know, like the fact that you are not white and affluent is a deal breaker for them. And I was at a point where I wanted to tell kids in my class that I was Jewish and celebrated Hanukkah, that I had bar mitzvahs, and that I had a limo with Hannah Montana in it because I wanted to be I wanted to be like everybody else. And it took me, you know, seeing my brother going through this and having to educate myself outside of my school because there's no way they were going to teach me about my own history, that I was like, wait a second, you know, I I should be proud of my heritage. I should be proud of, you know, where I come from or where my family comes from. Um, I shouldn't feel like I have to hide my hair every single day at school because y'all can't see it now because it's in braids, but I got hair for days. And um, for me, that was, you know, a really big shame that I had, you know, showing my blackness, whether it was in my body or my facial features or my hair. And it took me way too long to accept that part about myself and you know be okay with having a culture that's not you know white and jewish and rich um and you know seeing my brother going through that stuff was so eye-opening for me and being like oh my god like this isn't me this is the system um and so you know it's just that that kind of like tore me apart you know having to see that and having to try to explain to him the same thing my parents tried to explain to me when i was younger that it's not you it's them um, but who, you know, who's going to believe that everyone around them is the problem, not yourself? Um, that's a really hard thing to um, come to terms with. And I'm still not fully at terms with that. I still think that a lot of it is me. Please not. Everyone,
0: I think that too. So mm-hmm. it's a life
1: worth of work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I grew up in, right outside of Princeton, New Jersey. So my experience school is very similar to what you guys went through where I was the black kid going to all the bar mitzvahs, you know, the Yamaha wouldn't stay on my, my bald head um, <laughs> <laughs> and then different things like that. But I guess for me also just interacting with, with white, white kids and white students, for me, it's, um, I don't Did you feel like they were, do you feel like it's just ignorance? Or is it really just like they really hate you? Like, or they don't, you know, what, what is it that you felt? For me, it's just like a lot of, for most of me, my growing up, I just felt like they just really didn't understand at all. Like they have, they have no clue. Just like a lot of black kids that I went to school with have no clue about who they are um, and where we come from in this world. Um, but so, I guess-
0: So you thought it was more ignorance than just straight up racism?
1: No, there's there, there were some people that were just blatant like there was no you, you definitely knew what they were trying to say to you. And, and what.
4: I think I would agree with that. I think that um, a lot of it was just ignorance, um, just stuff that um, they were never taught, especially considering that a lot of our school curriculum and a lot of all private school curriculum and all public school curriculum in this country just doesn't doesn't talk about the history of our people and the history of um, like what we have to face as different people of color. Um, but also I think that at a very young age, kids of color are taught that they can't do this and they have to do that and they can't speak like this or this will happen to them Um, or they can't, you know, you can't be a black boy going home at night with a hoodie on. Um, And so if we can learn how to do that, they have every right to learn how to respect us. Um, For a very long time, I tried to convince myself that they just didn't know any better. Um, But I think this is the year I kind of realized that it's not fair because we had to know better.
2: Boom. I think that <laughs> sentence, <laughs> like period, honestly, like, they, when we had said it best. And I think a lot of it too is, you know, a lot of the discussions we've been having is a lot of these kids in their homes, it wasn't introduced. So a lot of the work we're doing now is making sure that parents are aware of how to teach their kid like anti-racist works and theories and how to actively be anti-racist and also make sure that it's integrated in our curriculum so it isn't like, this is like the parent's responsibility or it's the school's responsibility. It's a joint effort and making sure like these kids from day one know how to respect their peers. Cause again, like we have kids in the grammar school, super young who are facing these same experiences and they know and they're aware of like their place. But you know, like it's, white kids are given a pass on this constantly. So a lot of it starts at home and these conversations are not happening at home. So making sure mm-hmm. like that's enforced and like acknowledged by the school make sure that this doesn't happen so it it isn't ignorance anymore because there comes becomes a point where you know you're an independent thinker, especially at the high school level if you're not aware of someone else's experiences and if you're not doing the work to make sure that your peers are not you know discriminated against um and are traumatized honestly then like at that at that point there's no excuse for it in my opinion yeah if I could just add on to you Amani um I also think that um
4: hate is taught and hate is always taught at home by like those parents that Um, genuinely believe that people of color aren't worth their time or energy or um, respect. But I also think that I know a lot of kids or not, I don't know a lot, but I know several kids in our grade who have racist parents, who have parents that openly like, you know, discriminate and they take the time to educate themselves because it's 2020 and Google is free. And um, people are sharing so many resources now on social media to help people educate themselves. At this day and age, I don't think you have an excuse, like Imani said, um, because there's so much information accessible to you. There are so many ways you can educate yourself, and you really see that with our generation taking the time to watch those videos and read those infographics and teach themselves the things that their parents couldn't teach them.
0: Yeah. What were you going to say, Ebony?
4: I mean to be in, to to be in a
5: classroom and to think that it is okay to use a pencil to take apart your hijab you have to come from a home that empowers you to do that true okay so when we talk about the kids we got to talk about the parents right yeah. and if it, and I really think that this is a time that the school can really do some soul searching and really decide who do we want to be, right? Who do they want to be going forward as an institution? And if you want to look at who you are, you got to look at your parent body. Yes. Because a lot of teachers are scared of the parent
0: body. Right. Okay?
5: This <laughs> why. My name, Ebony, It me, black. So I'm coming as my full black self all day, and my boys already know that. You know? Yes.
2: Right.
5: So and- they, they already know, as soon as something go down, you tell me, because I'm going to handle it. Mm-hmm. Right. So they really have to take a look at who the parent body is. And you, listen, I have called a many a parent on the phone to say, listen, this is what your kid did. This ain't right. And I think more parents, when your kid comes home and tell you that this kid was racist, you gotta pick up the phone and you gotta call that parent and tell that parent your kid was racist. And then also follow it up with communication to the administration.
0: A lot of parents don't feel comfortable doing that though. Like we're, a lot of parents, I came into the school thinking, oh my God, I'm so grateful that they accepted my child to this school. Praise Jesus. You know what I mean? And that inhibits you from making those calls to those rich white parents and to the administration. I mean, I'm not that person anymore just because I've learned and I've grown. Thank God for my child. But I know that there are many parents still that won't say anything about it you know we'll just I think my mom yeah was definitely yeah I was just about to
2: you
4: know not
2: yeah I think one like coming from an immigrant household like that mm-hmm. idea is already instilled in you like you should be grateful to be here don't cause any trouble or that fear is instilled in you to not you know stir any waters. to make sure that like your position is secured so I think coming to Columbia was the same thing like Oh my gosh, you made it, like you know, and of course, like your parents always want to the best for you and want to make sure that no opportunity is taken away from you. So my mom, I think, for a lot of these incidents, I mean, she went to one school event and didn't come back, like for the next four years, because she felt completely uncomfortable. Um, she directly was insulted, um, and obviously didn't want to come back to that environment. So again, like talking about the parents, how are we gonna make the parents of color feel safe and included in this environment? So I think there was a lot of hesitation when it did come to like racial incidents to go to the administ- administration or to talk to parents because you know she didn't want um, my position to be compromised in any way. Being and also like you know it was the idea of if I would be believed as like you know a black kid who was you know low income and just like dealing with those politics quite honestly. So I think a lot of parents are in that same boat where it's almost made very clear that if you're not you know white and affluent, your voice does not matter as much. Um, and it, it holds back a lot of people from feeling like they'll, they'll be taken seriously or if they can report something to the administration or take any action. It's really unfortunate. And we're trying to address that like right now because it's, you know, it's been ignored for so long. Yeah. But and, you know yeah.
5: what? I want, I want students. I want you guys. I want parents to feel, um, it, it this whole income business, you know, no one gets to make us feel bad for having a wage for being, you know, a city worker, you know, for living in the boroughs. It's not our fault that we don't have generational wealth. It's not our fault. Like if we really want to break it down, you know, a lot of people have benefited off of other things, right? They've benefited financially other ways, right? And you don't get to make me feel bad. You don't get to make my kids feel bad because I don't have a million dollars in the bank, right? And I think that we also have to move away from feeling grateful because they are... They, see, that school is 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 in a position to be grateful for having our energies, right? For how we're, having our creativity, for having your brilliance at that institution. Look, we got two girls on the phone talking about... I mean, I don't know if y'all want to say where y'all going to college, but I mean, awesome. they look, you make the school look good as well, right? So it, it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a mutual beneficial um, relationship of having us there and, and to um, have us on scholarship and there. Not,
0: Ava, a solid. Huh? Not doing a favor or giving us a solid.
5: Right, it's yeah. not a solid, it's not a favor. We bring a lot to the table. We do, we bring a lot to the table.
3: The, I think, you know, in terms of, um, you know, parents speaking up about when something's happening, it's a, it's a learning curve, you know? And I think that that whole sense of being grateful that your kid is there, especially when you are a low income, you know, family of color. You know, my mom is first gen. And my parents had no money when I first started at Columbia Prep, and that scholarship—the fact that you know I that we paid next to nothing at a school that cost I don't know how many thousands of dollars—was a blessing. And you know, it's that fear that you don't want to jeopardize that because you know you're making moves and you want your kid to have the absolute best, and you don't realize how you know they condition you to feel like that's how you have to act, that you have to you know tiptoe and tread lightly like you're on ice. Um, make sure you don't make the wrong moves or your scholarships going away, you know, magically, which I've seen so many times. I am one of two people or three people who started off at Columbia Prep in kindergarten and made it to graduation. And um to see, you know, my fellow peers of color just leaving every couple years was crazy to me, especially, you know, conveniently around high school. And, you know, I, I ended eighth grade, you know, waiting to see my friends ninth grade, first day, half of them didn't show up. And it was just the three of us. And it's always been the three of us. And, you know, it's a game of, you know, who's next. Um, and it's a really scary game because, you know, you see people magically disappearing and, you know, falling through the cracks and you forget about them too. You know, I have friends who don't even remember half the kids of color there. Um, You know, and we're we're given breadcrumbs at this institution. And I mean, you know, Amani brought up the fact that we were the leaders of a uh, multi-ethnic cultural awareness club that was run by a white man, a white man who had a light-skinned black woman who said literally nothing the entire club. And listen, I don't want to blow anybody up. Um, You know, they were very kind people, but there is no way that you're telling me that a white, straight man is running a multi-ethnic cultural awareness club. For who? For who is that club then, you know? And so it felt as though when we wanted to talk about some really serious things that really impacted the community of color, we were silenced. When we wanted to talk about how the administration was silencing us and, you know, basically trying to suppress our oppression, they were like, oh no, but see, that's too much. What do you mean that's too much? What do you mean that's too much? Too much for who? You know, and so just because I pay less, that means I'm not a matriculated student. That means I'm not 100 percent, you know, like everybody else here. And there are a lot of black kids who also pay full scholarship, who have parents on the board. Uh, well, not a lot, but, um, you know, there's some kids that contribute there, you know. And so assuming that we're all at the same playing field when we're not, that we've all been granted this wonderful opportunity when it's a handful of us. Um,
5: and they also, talk, there's also white
3: families there that are on scholarship, but they don't talk about that. They don't talk. No. I did not know that even existed until ACT Prep started. And I saw the white kids in the room with us and I was like, wait, what are y'all doing here? And they were like, oh, we're on scholarship. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it is so not spoken about. And, you know, I think I would have felt a lot more confident in my family's lack of you know affluence because it really doesn't matter as long as my family can provide food shelter and you know take me to school every morning i'm fine i'm doing exactly what i need to do i'm where i need to be but you know it's like they hid them from us you know and they were like oh no 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 white kids aren't on scholarship it's just y'all y'all are the ones i got to tread y'all are the ones I got to be careful because y'all can be next at any moment in time And, I mean, that's what happened to my brother. He was next. He got chosen. Um, And, you know, they love playing that game. And it's a really sad, disgusting, twisted game. What do you mean by chosen? Chosen to leave. They got, you know, they find some minor incident to blow up. My brother, he's a lot more vocal than me. And even though he's half, not half my age, he's six years younger than me, I've learned so much from him. He does not know how to keep his mouth shut. He sees something he doesn't like. He sees someone being racist, offensive, whatever. He will tell you about it and more. And they didn't like that. And you know, he some kid was trying to justify slavery in his classroom, and he's like, "That's not right." And you know, he went and confronted this kid, and this teacher made it bigger than it had to be. And that happened with a lot of the racial incidents that went on in his classroom. You know, we had teachers in that middle school you know coloring in swastikas with their cl- with the students in the class she was actually my former teacher and she was fired on the spot but we have teachers who allow the questions to circulate in the cra- in the classroom if you were a slave would you run away or would you you know or would you run away and kill yourself or would you stay as a slave and no one said a word and it's interesting you know how extreme teachers can be when it comes to talking about kids of color and when a kid of color speaks out about it and they don't like that as they should they're not seen again next year
0: wow
3: yeah, I, yeah lauren if i could just oh, sorry miss ebony you can
4: go um do anyone feel
5: a different shift in energy from the administrations? because The grammar school administration prior to this one was there's a lot of parents you know let me not say a lot of parents I am am still emotionally scarred from experiences that I had in the grammar school with the previous grammar school administration so I'm wondering do you feel a shift of energy or that I feel like things are changing, but it's at a super slow p- pace, but do you feel that there's a shift in energy with the new administration?
3: Yeah. Um, I, mean, so I Oh yeah. You can go with me. No, you can go. So really quick, and then I'll let Wumia go. We met with the uh, faculty of you know, the grammar school briefly about the powwow. Uh, for those who don't know, it's basically where, you know, they spend a the year learning about Native Americans in the third grade, and then at the end of the year, they all dress up in their homemade little tunics, chanting Native American songs around one actual Native American man um, and singing all their songs. And so, you know, we came into the room talking about, okay, well, are you appreciating or appropriating? Because uh, it's one thing to learn, and it's one thing to be immersed in the culture, but it's another thing to take that for yourself and then have your white parents in the stands or whoever you are, because you're not Native American, in the stands with your phone and your flash on recording it and saying, oh my God, look at my little Native American boy. Um, and so I think that, you know, I went in there ready to, you know, blow shit up, you know, what's going on here. And, you know, they really, they, they held me back and they were like, listen, like we've made some changes. All right. Um, And I do think that it has gotten better. I don't know. I'm not in the grammar school anymore, but it seems as though They have younger teachers who are a little bit more with it now and they actually care about what's going on. Um, I see a little bit more diversity within the grammar school, um, both in the curriculum and also in the faculty members, um, But then again, I don't know what's going on in the classroom. I don't know, you know, how many little boys and girls there are sticking pencils in the hijabs and, you know, calling kids the N-word, because they love to do that, especially now that everyone wants to listen to rap music, because it's a trend. Um, So I don't know what happens in the student body and and if it goes unchecked, you know? But from what I see superficially, I do think that there have been some sort of changes in progress.
4: Um, yeah, I just wanted to add on to um, a saying thing um, with, so I think it was a year ago, Imani, that you went to SDLC, right? Um, or a couple months ago. It this year and last year. It was right. It was this year and last year. Um, and so if, if you guys don't know, SDLC is a student-led conference. It's a student-led diversity conference. Um, it happens in a new location every year. Um, and kids at our school are always um, attending that conference. And then this year, um, our three division directors, um, so Ms. Dean, um, Ms. Bailey and Ms. McLean, who is the director of the grammar school, um, they all went to the. Um, it was like a mirroring teacher conference that was going on in the same location, I think. Um, and they came back and they told us that um, they learned a couple things there about what it's like to be a faculty member of color um, or work in the administration and be and be of color. Um, so. Y- I, I, I personally do get the impression that the director heads are interested in learning more about what they can do, um, but sometimes it just seems like the communication isn't always so clear-cut, um, and to me, at least, it seems like the administration as a whole is taking baby steps to solve the issue of racial injustice, which is not fair at all to the kids of color who attend, who don't have time to like stop themselves from being traumatized from those kinds of experiences if that makes sense um too
5: no it makes it makes 100 percent sense um because um people would always say um my oldest son tried to leave several times and they would say oh it gets better in ninth grade i said so we supposed to just sacrifice and wait until ninth grade for him when oh, he clearly
4: lied that was that, not right
2: now <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, I don't I don't think that would have been any good, personally. but
5: that's that's that was what people would say over and over and over again. And it's like, no, I think I think this is not the place for him.
0: Handle mediocre until you get to greatness. Like,
2: you don't even get to greatness. Yeah, you, I, don't right. know how, I don't know about greatness.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Only thing you gain. And, you know, I've and I've and I've said this before. You know, you either come, you come out as one of two people when you leave Columbia Prep. You are either subservient and, you know, when white people speak, you you flinch. Or you are the type of person who does not take crap from anybody when they say something to you. And I mean, I think the three of us here, um, you know, the the co-moderators of this account, we have a, we have big mouths. We have big mouths and the big biggest. Mouths. and I, I you know the things that I have gone through and that I've seen are painful and disgusting and traumatic and I would never wish that upon anybody but it has made me into the loud mouth Cuban that I you know announced myself in the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I'm proud of that I'm proud that I came out of all of this as someone who doesn't take shit from anybody and I'll call you out on whatever I don't care who you are where you're from how much money you got. You dropped the $20 under my chair trying to claim that it's, you know, that it's mine and it's not. I'm going to take it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um,
2: and I think, like, to Lauren's point, like, it wasn't always that way for me. I definitely wasn't. Like, as outspoken as I think I am now. I think with this no- like, new wave of social media activism, like, people are finding their voices. People are, like, you know, making bold opinions and not worrying about what other people think. And I think that's been super important. for me and also having people like Lauren and Wamiya and my other medical leaders to I guess like help advocate for me so I knew how to advocate for myself was super huge for me and even in the kids that like I've mentored like the younger kids seeing like having a model of that and being super excited about like the prep school mecca and creating their own club and it's just it kids just need to see that and like that's why with the mentorship program talking to your peers talking to me for your your own age knowing that there's a community behind you is super huge for that people for people so you can learn how to advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself and I think it's you know the school's like first step is like you know diversity and bringing kids of color and and bringing kids in different backgrounds and whether it's religious um, or you know sexual orientation things like that but also like once they are there how what are you doing to protect those kids once they're there because you can bring in you know you can increase your numbers you can increase your demographics but if they still have to deal with the same things like every single year, then like that it's not helping anyone, it's just you're traumatizing more kids of color and yeah. more kids from different backgrounds. So that's why it's like focus on our call for our call to action and focus on the steps that you're going to take to make sure that kids feel safe and included and as equals, not as less than because they're not, they're brilliant, they bring so much to the school community, and they should feel that way. So I wanted to get into
0: that. How did y'all
2: begin this?
0: What, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are many prompts to why you began this, but like, what was it for you guys individually that made you come together and be like, y'all, let's do this thing?
4: So I think a big one for all of us was thinking about the young students of color who still attend the institution, who are going through the things that we went through, even though we had hoped that they wouldn't. Um, and so they need us and we will never turn our backs on them. Um, we will always be there to fight for them because no one was there to fight for us. Um, and just knowing that I mean the other day I was talking to some of the younger Muslim kids who go to the school and they were talking about how um, the things that I've done at the school has made other kids at the school respect them and not say the same things to them that honestly made me tear up knowing that um, you know I may have gone through some struggles at the school but I can make sure that other young students of color are not gonna like have the same experiences Um, even though of course, it, I don't think the school is, that kind of, is at that kind of a point yet to create a fully safe environment for young students of color, but just to know that it's happening one step at a time and to know that this account and that the attention that we get from it and the call to action that we're making from it um, is bringing more justice to those students. That was a big motivator for all of us.
2: Right, and I think there was also like a kind of final straw moment this whole year, you know, the work that we, we've been very proud of the work we've done as leaders of, you know, the Mecca Club, because, you know, we've met with faculty, we've drafted demands, we were, you know, constantly meeting and putting pressure on the administration, but still at the same time, like, regardless of the work we were doing, it just wasn't moving fast enough. We weren't seeing the changes that we needed, not, you know, wanted, but needed in the school to make sure that it was, you know, an environment that we could thrive at. Um, And I think also, like, we graduated, so it was a lot, (laughs) it was a lot easier, honestly, to, Um, vocalize and not feel like our positions or our like the way that people were perceiving us at the school would be hurt or jeopardized in any way. Um, and we felt like I think there was like a responsibility, like a mutual responsibility felt between us that, like, when Mia said that we had to like you know stand up and advocate for kids that were there that felt like they couldn't speak up because they didn't want to lose anything or they didn't want to be ostracized. So I think there's a lot of I think just one of us or two of us like texted because we saw like um, the Blackout Breely account and the Blackout. Yeah, we were.
4: And very heavily inspired by them. Black and so, and black and, yeah, and know, black Just another way that black women paved the path for all of us. So,
2: Again and again, you know. And so we saw that and we're like, um, we could totally do that. And I think, it, you know, there, there needed to be a space for people to just get it out. You know, there's been so much holding back. So many experiences, you know, people have reached out to us from like 1969 or just like you know, so many alumni have reached out and have been like, you know, I've never been able to share this or this is my first time talking about this or I forgot about this, but this was this traumatizing, you know, and I've carried this for so long and seeing people who graduated like decades ago, remembering these events, like it's so clear how um, the events that happened at their time at Columbia have carried on with them for so long. So we just felt like there needed to be a space where people could just get it out, feel heard and feel like there was something that that was going to be done about it. Because one thing to, you know, have a space for people to share and, um, just like the courage that takes, it's really admirable. And we've just been very, I think, grateful for people who've been speaking up. Um, but also, you know, making them feel like, you know, someone's going to do something about it. And, like, we're not going to let down until like, you know, our demands are met. And that their ideas and opinions of how to make speech better are heard and are acknowledged and are implemented. So not just like, yeah, like we're going to, you know, be better allies or, you know, making like empty promises. Like, we want to see action. There was, such, there was a drive for that.
4: Yeah, no
2: more right, diversity exactly. and inclusion. We want change and palpable action. Anti-racism, um, right? And I think also yeah, we actively anti-racist. Just... Exactly. And with like the social media atmosphere, with every you know people being more aware of the Black Lives Matter movement, it just felt like it was the right time. People were hyper aware of it. People were starting to learn and educate themselves on things that we were you know already aware of as people of color. But I think people were listening, and it was just like, the perfect time to do it for us.
3: Yeah, just to quickly add on, you know, I I say quickly, but I I'm never quick. I promise I'll be quick.
2: Never um, quick. <laughs> you know,
3: um, just to add on to the whole final straw thing, um, a big part of it was, you know, the the deceit, and you know, being told that. Um, I'm sorry, y'all. I had to. I had to. They're you know they're looking at me like, Oh my God, Lauren, you're always going in. You know what? You know, I'm tired of feeling, you know, scared that something's going to happen to me um, and even, you know, right now, you know, my school has connections to the university I'm going to, you know, one one letter, one email, she's a troublemaker, bye-bye scholarship and I need that scholarship, but you know what, I can't be complacent um, and so, you know, it was just straight up to see and, you know, that whole miscommunication is is basically what blew this whole thing up. And we were told that we were gonna get a diversity uh, director. Like we asked during one of our meetings, uh, we had brought up a list of demands to the headmaster. Cause we were like, listen, our friend just went through some really disgusting stuff We're over this, we cannot do this anymore. You have to put things in place in order to protect every single student, not just white students and stop giving students of color breadcrumbs. And he was like, okay, cool, I got you. Told us we were going to get a diversity uh, director, change in curriculum to diversify, you know, every single subject, uh, more people of color in the faculty, and you know, he said that the, the diversity coordinator wasn't going to be called that because you know the board wouldn't wouldn't they wouldn't like that. Uh, let's call it something else. Let's call it um, the, director oh, the director of director of strategic initiatives. initiatives. Yeah, that. And, you know, we were like, okay, cool, you know, as long as we're getting what we need to get, as long as it's in the job description, we're fine, we're golden, we're leaving our legacy for, you know, young kids of color to get the justice that they deserve that we never got. And, you know, I was on the phone with the head of school regarding another racially charged incident that actually occurred recently. Um, and she was asking for the details and what had happened, because for some reason, they think I'm the spokesperson for everything, you know, that happens regarding racism. Um, and during that conversation, when I brought up the diversity coordinator, she's like, oh, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you know, the guy, the new guy who was introduced to us as MECA leaders, that he's going to work with us, you know, whatever the diversity stuff. And she was like, he doesn't have diversity in his job description. And I was like, well, what does he do? he plays with numbers with data with technology what does that have to do with diversity and so you know for me that was the part that killed me that this man pretended to resonate with us because of his the own his own discrimination that he faces um and he pretended to care for us and that he was going to truly do something to protect us or not us people who look like us and he was like, no, we're gonna give you a man who plays with numbers. I was like, what? And you know, that's what killed me. It's one thing to be racist to my face, to say some really foul stuff to me or my family or my friends, well, not my family. Um, but it's another thing to completely lie to my face after promising us. We had girls coming out of that room Y'all don't understand this girl was in tears because she was so happy that we were finally getting somebody who would advocate and support us this girl was in tears she was one of the other girls that had been with me you know for 13 years she was actually there for 14. literal tears streaming down her face three generations of kids have gone through this school and we were lied to and you know because we're leaving and because we're black and because we're on scholarship or of color i'm sorry, with Mia. Um, you know, it, they could say whatever they wanted and get away with it because we're going to college and we're not going to care, psych, we cared, Um, and we almost have, you know, 2000 followers on Instagram, we've done five interviews and counting, Uh, I wrote a piece talking about basically what I just said in detail, um, that should be published soon, you know, this is not going away and we have big plans actually. Um, I don't know if y'all want to get into that later. I'm not gonna say nothing because I I blow up. I'm sorry, um, but like this isn't over. This is not over. You cannot mess with you know people like us and get away with that. That that doesn't vibe. Not anymore. Not anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. So well, do I do I
0: do I take my baby out a private school? <laughs> <laughs> do I not? My other one, is, do I where do where do I take them? Where, you know, no. We stay, we stay,
5: and we continue to advocate for everything yeah. that these um, young ladies are advocating for.
2: Yeah, I think that's a It's gen- that a genuine question that a lot of parents, I think, are thinking. Reading our account, like, what do we do with our kids? And i baby babysat so many parents, especially a lot of parents of color during my time, and they have come up to me or texted me, being like what do i like what are the next steps how can i help but also like, what do i do with my children and making sure that they're safe because i want the best for them um and i think you know we've talked about this and i think one like it's not isolated to cgps like there's so many you know as we've seen with all these like hundreds of accounts like around the world um it's you know it's incidents that happen at every school on some level so it's now you know keeping your kid there, but it's, you know, accounts like these, it's organizations like these, cohorts like these that are going to put pressure, not only to like public pressure, but national pressure on these administrations to change because it's not, you know, it shouldn't have to be a decision of, I took to move my kid from this, you know, the school where, you know, academically, like, you know, I, I appreciate what's going on there, but like my kid is faced with like this discrimination that, you know, is another burden to their, you know, their livelihoods. Um, It shouldn't have to be that decision for anyone. It should be, I can trust that this institution is going to care about my kid and give my kids the same opportunity and make sure that there's a cultural, ethnic, racial sensitivity there that makes sure that they feel safe and included. So I think yeah. that's, you know, it's a really hard conversation to have with yourself, you know, between yourself as parents, with your children. So I think now it's, you know, it's there's no excuse for any school right now to not be making changes to, you know, to make sure that kids of color are being heard
3: this every that's every institution though you know every
4: institution it's it's every private school in the city
2: and it's every public school in the city whether it's
4: because the curriculum that they teach or because they're militarized by the police and foster the school to prison pipeline it's it's the entire system that we have to reform and we can't stop at just columbia prep yeah
3: and we also can't sideline ourselves as people of color and be like okay well we have to move because this isn't for us no we have to make this for us you know it cannot be that we go another hundred years I don't know how many hundred years too many hundred years um you know trying to acclimate and assimilate to a system that's not built for us no we change that system so that it is for everybody and you know there's no way that we can just be pushed into a corner because unless it is Black-owned and Black-run or, or run by people of color, I don't want to exclude, um, this, this is going to persist. And even within, you know, a lot of institutions of color, there's then the colorism, which is the cousin to racism. So we can't win everywhere, For real. So, you know, and, and that's an, another big discussion that I've had. You know, I'm an extremely light-skinned Black woman like very light skin I always joke with my mom that she stole my melanin from me Um, (laughs) within myself I have to recognize my privilege that even though I'm black and even though I face things it's not as bad as my you know people who look like my father you know and my dark skinned brothers and sisters and so the second we recognize that sort of privilege And what we can do to fix that, that's when we don't have to keep running into corners and trying to move around white people. No, we change it so that everyone's included. We don't got (laughs) to run.
4: You know, and if you're a parent and you're trying to figure out what the best thing to do for your kid is, I would say to be there for them, to have those conversations, to let them know that, you know, if something racist happens to them at school, that they can tell you about it and you will have their backs and that you will do something about it. Because again, as Amani said, I'm also um, the kid of immigrant parents. And for a long time, it was the idea that, well, racism is the price we pay for living here. And um, no, I'm also an American citizen. I have the same rights and liberties as you, as given to us by our constitution. And that's an idea that I think a lot of our generation is coming to understand and fully um, embrace. And um, I hopefully think that our parents are coming around to that those kind of ideas as well. So to parents of color to the students of color who to, who attend these institutions talk to your kids and please let them know that they're not alone and that they have you.
1: So um, what's the big thing? What 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 That say. is the big thing. No, there's more. Oh, there's more.
0: All oh, right. Well, first of all, Lauren, like my <laughs> mind is fucking blown, right? Because I couldn't even touch what you just said. I was just like, oh, I got to go to the next subject because I don't even know how to like, what question to ask.
3: That's why they say I always blow it up. I guess, you know what, I, I my dad, when whenever I'm passionate about something, I go and I don't stop going. So I apologize.
0: Don't apologize. That's the beauty of you, boo.
3: Thank you. You Thank know, you. but every
5: year, every year something happens in um a private school and it, it makes the news, it makes the newspaper. And I, I said last year, I said this it it is gonna happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Like it's mm-hmm. gonna happen. But in true, you know, fashion of this school, it it, it made national headlines as opposed to just making the post or the times like you know um Fieldstin or um what was the other school oh, right. A poly prep. Poly oh prep, my right?
4: gosh yeah. you know so those things. <laughs> the black
5: right. you know we just made the national news cuz we go big or we go home you know <laughs> ps
0: <laughs> now have i forgotten any questions anything that i forgot that you wanted to really hit upon No. Okay. Um, No.
2: No. I think we're good. Just another petition.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, Yes. Please. Our administration.
0: Next thing is any last words? Anything that you want the list? What can we as listeners and and our listeners do for True Colors of Colombia? How can we support? How can we support?
3: Yeah. Um. So you know we took a lot of time. Um. Aside from you know the revolution. Um, (laughs) technical stuff. And so we created a link tree that's in our bio, and it consists of our call to action document, which is being, you know, um, edited at least once a week. Um, We take submissions from, you know, people who follow us and say, what do you guys want to see implemented at our school in order to ensure safety? Um, And so even though we've created this account, obviously, we're not knowledgeable in all things about racism and race and stuff. And so we, we welcome um you know all fresh ideas we have our petition in our bio we have our um our oh a link to email our administration um we have so many things there um you just click some buttons and boom you just change the world so please click those buttons and so can
0: I ask what exactly you're asking for from the administration? Like a few things. You don't have to obviously say all Yes. Yeah,
4: of them. so we definitely have a list of demands that um, we have linked in our Instagram bio if you guys want to check out the full list. Um, but some of the things that um, we have integrated is the need for an, can I say this one, guys, the Alumni Diversity Council? Can I go yeah. into depth? Oh, blow it up. Okay, so, so um, <laughs> one of the things that we're trying to, to implement learn. is the Alumni Diversity Council. We're trying to put together um, a group you of alumni, both- from yeah from all backgrounds and all races um to be involved in the process when racist incidents happen at the school to have the final say in what um what kind of you know discipline needs to be dealt out accordingly um and to just be there for young students of color who are going through these things and can be a direct source that they can report those kind of incidents to um but there's definitely more on that
2: in our bio um does anyone else want to yeah, I think also we've, you know, we've talked with, like, um, curriculum heads and heads of different departments to make sure that, like, in the classroom, like, in, like, your syllabus, if like, you have to include and integrate the histories of BIPOC, whether it's Black history, Indigenous history, there's so many groups that are so left or forgotten, or, like, the civil rights unit is always at the end of the year, and there's never time for it, like, that's inexcusable. Um, it's in your literature that you can bring it up in your stem departments you can bring it up and talk about influential figures that have been there start introducing kids at a young age people that they can look up to that aren't just white and move away from a eurocentric history and eurocentric curriculum like that needs to stop like it's it's yeah i could
4: just provide an example for what mani's saying is what lauren said earlier when um teachers ask well what are some uh, positive effects of slavery. There are no positive effects of slavery. Slavery was a form of genocide and to look for positive effects makes you a fascist. Like that's just not a thing that you can ask for in class. The same thing with imperialism or colonization or anything that has hurt any people of color over the, ta- over the course of white history. Um, you cannot ask what the positives of imperialism were or colonization because our people were eradicated by those things. Um, that's just not a question that teachers could ask anymore. If you're a student, it's kind of your responsibility now to call that kind of behavior out and say, this is not
3: education, this is just brainwashing. Yeah. And one last thing, um, you know, and I think a lot of people wrongfully wrong, whoa, wrongfully forget. Um, right. you know, we also included um, the staff of color, you know, cleaning, cafeteria security. Um, they get the most disrespect. Uh, you know, they are treated like bottom of the barrel and they're the ones that keep the school afloat and, you know, sanitary um, and safe. And so we really wanted to include them in our document because, you know, we as families of color deserve respect and they also deserve that same respect. You know, students calling them by their first names, not acknowledging them, throwing trash on the floor and saying, oh, well, you know, here comes the Latina uh, cleaning crew, they'll get it, you know really putting a stop to that and making sure that the administration emphasizes that that's not okay ever with anyone and you know that blatant disrespect that they have for you know those three um you know groups of staff members are the same That's the same disrespect they carry on to us and our parents and our siblings and our very very few teachers of color and so really making sure that the brink of that disrespect, which starts with the cleaning security and, and cafeteria starts and well, it doesn't start, it ends right there and it doesn't continue up. Um, so we really wanted to include them in this because they're what makes you know, any institution run the way that it needs to.
2: Yeah, and I think to <laughs> finalize, I think you know, I learned a lot um, about the power of my voice and that I deserve to take up as much space as I want to take and I think a lot of young kids, whether they're girls, boys, you know, are learning the value in that. And I think through accounts like these are seeing the power of their voice and the change it can make. So just to any, I, I think young kids just understanding that like, we hear you, they're going to hear you because we're going to make them hear you and um, never to hold back and like how you feel. And I think, you know, for white people listening or white followers of our account, we encourage them not only to listen and, you know, to take in these events because, you know, it can be shocking to them, but this isn't shocking to us. This isn't new and this isn't um, sobering or anything like that, um, to not only listen, but also to make sure that you're not invalidating the experiences of BIPOC by saying, well, like, how is this racist? Or, you know, people are putting their trauma online and having to confront that again. So, like, your job isn't to, like, police that, your job isn't to judge that, but to question the administration and question the environment that allow that to happen. And figure out how you are gonna, you know, how you're gonna work as an ally, which again, that title is given to you by the BIPOC community. You cannot call yourself an ally. How you're gonna work to change that and how you're gonna work, you know, in your everyday life, because it's easier for you to turn off your phone and not have to deal with racism again. Like you can totally like ignore it for the rest of your life. But for BIPOC, we're constantly confronted with that reality every single day. So it's your job to read our experiences, internalize that, and do the work yourself, because it isn't our job anymore to educate. And I think I've played that role for so long. My fellow, you know, co-moderators have played that role of, like, educator for so long. But it isn't our job to teach you about our histories, because we're still learning about our histories, first of all. Like, that needs to be addressed. But, you know, it's, yeah. you know we've gotten to a time where it's not, you know, we can't have that dynamic anymore.
4: Yeah, we don't have all the answers, but it is your responsibility to find them from a reliable
2: source.
3: Educate yourselves, that's all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mic drop. <laughs> Yes, Ebony. Did you have any last
0: words? No, no. You got you. Ladies were awesome. They, they said
5: it all. Yeah, so inspiring. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you
0: so aw. much.
2: We're inspired. Oh my gosh, so yeah. inspired. Every single day, just like with the people we talk to, with the people we learn with. This yeah. conversation has also, been like inspiring. I yeah. mean, yeah.
4: I think we're also really comforted by the yeah. fact that there are people out there who. Like, you know, adults of color, parents of color, the school who care about our stories and are looking out for us, uh, making sure that we're not doing it all on our own. Yeah, yeah. the y'all I in the
2: comments. What was that happening? <laughs> you are in our comments, and we love I it. am in the comments. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> <beautiful>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm in. The- it's like our favorite <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> we like to <laughs> we have a couple regulars.
3: We like to keep ourselves, you know, quiet in the comments, let other people discuss and we delete the negativity because, you know, these are stories and experiences. It's not a debate, um, you know, so leave your hate at the door. Mm -hmm. Talk about that during our series. Columbia isn't racist. Um, But, um, you know, when we see the comments, especially from, you know, older alums and uh, from parents of color we text each other and we're like, did you see this mom? Did you see this dad? And they went off at the comments. <laughs> oh and we get so hyped because, you know, um, it's that unity that we were talking about earlier. You yeah. know, it, it feels so nice to finally feel like, you know, it's not an isolated incident. We're not alone in this matter. We're all going mm-hmm. through this together. Parents, you know, students, faculty, staff, you know, we're all mm-hmm. getting it. And so really coming together and just seeing stuff in the comments even though we just like it we're doing more than just liking it in our head okay we're going off yeah so it's <laughs> so
0: weird it feels kind of weird to read it and to like it yeah. you know what I
2: mean? yeah i'm yeah. like i don't like oh, this yeah. this is some
0: bullshit can yeah. i like this shit can i like is there another way for me like i hear you <laughs> i see
3: right I'm doing the comments so, yeah. i'm just going to be like <laughs> i mean it's the it's the trauma. Which is what Amani brings up a lot. You know, we notice that the worse the racism is, again, quotes, um, the more likes it gets, and so the more traumatic it is for somebody, the more attention it's going to get. And the thing is, any any type of of racism, from microaggression to macroaggression, from "I'm going to lynch you," which is what somebody actually said to somebody um, at CGPS, that all deserves attention. And you know. Um, there shouldn't be that disparity in likes and, you know, um, we shouldn't have to feel like, you know, Oh my God, where's the next traumatic story so that we can get our followers up. It's not about that. You know, the fact that we have so much content that we've been posting for over a month, just submissions alone, we post about four to five submissions a day. Like Y'all, y'all aren't recognizing that. Y'all are just there for the tea. It's not about the tea. Mm-hmm. It's about how much content we have. That's sad. That's really sad. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. I think we are going to end our conversation here. You all, I mean, how many times can I say y'all are fucking amazing, right? <laughs> like, here's another one. Y'all are fucking thing um (laughs) so i'm gonna stop the recording but i do want y'all to say goodbye to our listeners thank you all so much for coming on um so bye listeners y'all are amazing too thank you thank you so much for having us. thank you for